Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. Okay, so I should probably share um, a, a secret me and Jody have been keeping. Um, some of you already know um, because we got some chatty Cathy's here in the room. Okay, no shame here, but let's be honest, that's who we are. All right, um, and so you probably have heard this, you probably have not. Um, Jody and I are pregnant. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. And in case you're wondering, I am the father. Yeah. Okay. I know you, some of you were thinking about that, but I think we actually have like a photo up here to, to prove it. Yeah. So that's for all of you who are like, I've been noticing you've been gaining some sympathy weight. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that. Um, hey, on a completely side note, um, we, something we like to say here all the time at this church is that we are a church for those who have given up on church. Which for us, that means several things. It means that if you're someone who ha has this history of you've jumped around from church to church and, and you felt underappreciated, you felt like you've been hurt, you felt like you've been targeted, you felt like no one loved you and cared for you there, we want to be the hospital for the broken. We want to be the safety net. We want to be a home for you because we're a church for those who have given up on church. But that also means something incredibly sacred for us. That means for us, while there are so many churches in this world that are all about the preacher and the worship band and the experience and the entertainment, for us, we, we know what the church is really about when we look at Scripture. What it's really about is the people of God coming together to be the people of God so that we might leave this place and be the people of God. I can't make it any simpler than that, guys, that this is what goes on here week after week after week is about how we come together as the people of God so that we might be the people of God and we might leave this place to be the people of God in this world because it's needed. Because we're watching right now a season where people are giving up on church. We're watching a season in 2020 where everything's just going down the drain, and this is a time that we've been made for. This is the reason why God has called you, why God has brought you here. What we are building here is this hope that when we come here, something is happening so that we might go out there and we might do something with the message of love and hope that God has given us. That every week when we come here and we're reminded that Jesus lives and that Jesus has come to redeem us and save us, that we might take this message out into this world and we might do something with it as we were called to do. You know who does this really well? is our youth group. Let me go ahead and take a moment and brag on a few of them by name. For instance, Parker right there behind the camera has asked that he wants to be back on the camera. And if you've watched any of our services online since we opened back up, you have seen his handiwork. Parker has used his time and his energy to invest in something that he's already really good at and he's used to invest back in this church. But not only that, I've encountered other, other kids in the community and had conversations with them. And when Parker has come up, all these kids, even though they don't go here, have all said, oh yeah, Parker talks all the time about the Bluff Church and how much he loves it here and how much he loves to see what God is building here. I mean, I, I love that. You know who's another example? She's not here today, but her near, name is Kirsten. She normally sits up here. If she's not back there, well, she might be right now working with the preschoolers. Kirsten is another example of someone who has taken this message of loving God and loving people and is being an influence in the youth group. For instance, she came to youth one day, not that long ago, bringing in a gift for everyone in the youth group. They were these little playing cards that she customized, that she gave out to everyone with these encouraging messages on them. I still have mine. I use it as a bookmark in my Bible. And Kirsten went above and beyond even that because there was a guest who came that night and Kirsten spent the entire night hanging out with this guest that she didn't know, but she wanted to hang out with this girl to make this girl feel welcomed and comfortable and feel like she was loved in this place. And I'm like, man, that is awesome. You know who also does it well? 
is Caden Anderson. Caden Anderson, I believe, has this mentality that if he's going to come to youth group, he's going to make sure every vehicle or every seat in his vehicle is filled up with someone. Like, he brings more people to our church than anyone else combined, okay? He is always bringing people. If there's anyone who is a positive influence on their friends, it's Caden Anderson. See, this, I can go on and on, going from one youth person to the next, listen off the many ways that I look at them, I'm like, man, they are going at it, loving God and loving people, not just in this place, but they're going out in the community because I hear about it all the time. When I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor of the Bluff Church, I always hear from people, of, oh, I know some of you are the kids in your youth group and they're doing this and this and this. Like, we have an incredibly influential youth here at the church, which is something that, that goes into one of our core values as a church, of what we're trying to build among all of us. It's that we will live lives of influence. We will live lives of influence. What that means is that when we come here, part of what's happening is that God is building into our midst leaders of influence for this community. People who are going to go out of this place and they're going to go to their jobs, they're going to go back to their friends and their family, and they're going to be a source of influence for the name of Jesus because they were in this place, because of what we've done as we equip one another, as we empower one another, as we encourage one another to go out and take the message of hope to the people out there who need it. And that is something that we are trying to build. Now, we all have people in our lives that are influential to us. We look at them as mentors or as leaders in different areas. And they don't have to be that way because of a position they hold or because of their age or because of their talents. And there's just something deeper about them. They're the kind of people that you look at and you're like, whatever they do, their opinions are going to be shaping my opinions. We look at them, we're like, I, I want to follow this person. I want to be like this person. I think we as Americans naturally have a predisposition towards this. It's why we're fascinated with people like Steve Jobs and uh, Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. And we're seeing it right now in the political spectrum where we have two candidates for presidency and they have a huge following because people look at them and say they're influential in some manner. We naturally are like this as Americans, that we look for people of influence and we gravitate towards them. Part of the reason why you have the friends you do is for that reason. Because you look at your friends and you'll see that they have something about them that's influential to you. And you'll notice that your own character and your own hobbies and interests and passions will start to shape towards them because of their influence. So if you hang out with friends who love to work out, next thing you know, you'll find yourself at the gym. Or if you hang out with people who love to, to be lazy and, and just gorge themselves on donuts, then you might find yourself doing that a little bit more often than you like. We naturally find these in people where we, we start to become like the rest of the group. Which is, just on a side note for the message for today, if you want to become a certain type of person, then surround yourself with the people who are already like that, who will encourage you and push you in that direction. So if you want to be better at this, put yourself in those company of the people who are already doing that, and you'll find yourself starting to do it. We here want to live lives of influence because we're all influential people in some way, whether we're a positive or negative influence. But we want to be like this because we follow the world's most influential person who has ever existed. His name was Jesus. He created this world and then invaded our world to change the narrative of humanity and to be this incredibly influential individual. If you read the Gospels, like, for instance, the book of Matthew, well, we're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there. If you read the book of Matthew, the first four chapters talk about this Jesus guy and how he's going around early on. He's getting this big influential following. But then he stops and he does something radical in chapter 5 where he turns the tables and he starts to talk about his people. 
Because Jesus came not to only be this influential person, but he has called his people to do the same. He has not come only to change the world. He has called his church, his people, to do the same, which is remarkable. We see it in Matthew chapter 5. If you read with me in verse 13. And it's there that we read the, the words of Jesus. And he says this right after he's laid out his beatitude statements that we looked at in the past spring, okay? Right after that, he stops and he says this in verse 13. He says, you are the light of the earth. Or the salt of earth, I'm sorry. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now I'm going to be clear about something for the rest of this morning. This is primarily talking to the disciples of Jesus. And what I mean by that is more than just those 12 guys. I mean those who with all of their heart believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God, and they have believed in that. They have repented of their sins, and they're deciding, hey, I'm not only believing this Jesus guy, I'm receiving him, I'm going to follow him. His ways are going to be my ways. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do the best I can to live my life following him and his agenda. This, everything we're going to be talking about this morning is for those people. So if that's not you, look, I'm glad you're here. I'm thrilled. This message this morning is not going to be pertaining to you. Because if you look at scripture, and Jesus has this giant crowd, it says in the beginning of chapter 5, he says, and he stopped to talk to his disciples. So everyone else, there was just annoyance. They were just the crowd. But Jesus being very clear, he's talking to the people who have given their life to him, who want to follow him. And he's talking to them, and he's describing them as the salt of the earth. Now, salt is an incredibly important component for life. I mean, just look at the human anatomy, the human biology, and it is crucial for how we operate in our lives. For instance, salt, some of the really cool science things about salt, salt breaks down into ions that help maintain blood pressure and the flow of nutrients inside and out of your cells. Your body uses salt to maintain an electrical potential in your nerves, and the ions we get from salt help neurons fire, sending impulses from nerve to nerve in a split second. So your entire nervous system would not function without salt. You know what that means? That means you can't think about the word salt without the use of salt. Like, that is so cool. Salt is so crucial for life. But Jesus has more than just the human biology in mind when he's talking about salt. He's also talking to his people who also understand all these other values of salt. For instance, in the days of Jesus, salt was used to preserve food. It was used to prevent corruption in goods. It was used to add flavor. You know, we want those McDonald's french fries, okay, yeah. It was used to add flavor. It was used to fertilize crops. It was used to purify things. And it was even used for construction purposes. So Jesus, he gathers his disciples and he looks at them and says, you know what? You know how salt is so important for life to happen? He said, you are the salt of the earth. I mean, that should blow your mind, people, because he's looking at them and he says, you know what? That means that you are crucial for the well-being of this world. So oftentimes we look at our lives and we're like, you know what? I don't think I really matter. Or I don't think I have that big of an impact in this world. And God is screaming, says, you are crucial for the well-being of this world. That take you out of it? That doesn't make any sense. You're, you're needed for what's good in this world. That's why we, when we come to faith in Jesus, we're not merely whisked off to heaven. We remain because God intends to do good in this world through his people. Because he's called us to be salt. 
Now, he follows it up by saying if salt was to lose its saltiness, then it's worthless. It's, it's nothing. You might as well just throw it on the dumpster, or it's good just to throw it on the world or the road, and people are just going to walk upon it because it's, it's not good anymore. But here's the thing. Salt doesn't lose its saltiness. And, and Jesus' people knew that. So before we start to think that Jesus flunked middle school chemistry, okay, l- let's get something straight here. He's not talking about a scientific aspect here. He's talking about the character of his people saying that God did not make us to be useless. God intended for us to always be at work making an influence upon this world. He has called us to be the salt of the world. That means that in our relationships, in our friendships, in our work situations, and whatever situation we happen to be in, God has put us in those positions for the intent and purpose that we're going to be salt in those situations, that we're going to be something that is a positive influence and a positive impact upon those areas which should get us thinking about what kind of influence are we leaving right now? What kind of influence would our kids say that we've had on them? Or our parents, or our friends, or our coworkers, and I I get it. I've worked a job before, several jobs before, where I was pretty sure, I was like, man, I'm probably the only Christian here. I've got people who say that they're Christians I work with, but you look at them and, and how they treat people and how they treat one another, how they treat themselves. There's no way they, are the, they really love this Jesus guy. And so I know how that feels in those pressures where you were like, hey, I want to leave a positive influence. I want to leave a positive impact. And that should be a good calling in your heart if you feel that way because you've made, been made to be the salt of the earth. That God is invested in you investing into others. Because God cares about the impact you're making. And Jesus, when he's talking about his followers, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You're going to be sent out to be this positive influence and this impact upon the world. He extends his analogy and he starts to bring in the word light into it. So if you read the very next verse, verse 14, he carries on by saying this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, the idea of light in the Old Testament mindset was crucial. I mean, it was used as a a religious element. And if you look at scripture, you see in places like 1 John, God is called light, which basically means God is this force that expels the darkness, expels the evil. This is who God is. And then you read the Gospels and you see how this light is at work as Jesus is going around. He's doing all these miracles and, and he's healing people of blindness. And he's going from one person to the next, fixing them, helping them, being a positive influence upon their life. But here's the crazy thing. When Jesus talked about his people, he described us doing the same thing. Basically so that we read the gospels and that there should be something that we're picking up and saying God wants us to be doing the same thing. He wants us not to just to read the gospels and say thank you Jesus, but to say thank you Jesus, now help me to do the same. Because you are the light of the world. You're not useless. You're not forgotten. You've not been abandoned. No, God has positioned you where you are at to be the salt and light of this world. So it would be a great shame if we try to to hide this. When we're in a space that's crucial, if we we stop and say, well, it's okay if no one knows that I'm this Jesus follower. It's okay if no one knows that that I'm called to love like Jesus. I I could just do what everyone else is doing. That doesn't make sense. In fact, Jesus says that if he carries on in the next verse, he says in verse 15, he says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, if we 
look at you know, other pastors and who have they talked about this. There's this one famous guy called Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer was this German pastor during World War II who was martyred for his faith. And he talks about this passage and he says this. He says, discipleship, which simply put is about the people of God coming together for the intent purpose that they're going to love God more, they're going to love people more as they gather together. He said, discipleship is as visible as light in the night, as a mountain in the flatlands. To flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. So basically, Bonhoeffer and Jesus are saying that we were not made to hide from our responsibility that's in God. That we were not made to hide from the responsibility that God has emplaced in us and the spheres which we are a part of because God intends to use us to transform this world. God intends to, to use us to make an impact and an influence upon our friends, upon our teammates, upon our classmates, upon our coworkers. There's a reason why you exist. There's a reason why you weren't immediately whisked off to heaven when you came to faith in Jesus. Because you were made to be an influence for God's kingdom, for God's glory. So when we pick back up in verse 16, Jesus goes on, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, right there we see what this all comes down to. That Jesus is demanding his people to be salt and light in this world for the benefit that others outside of the people of God might come to be part of the people of God. That they might see how we've taken every opportunity to serve. How we lead the way with irrational generosity. How we try to love like Jesus has loved us. And they sit there and think, there's something different in this family of imperfect people. I want to be part of that. I, I see how God is working in the midst of that. I want to be part of that. This is what we've been called to do. This is why God says he wants you to be salt and light in this world. Because you give glory to God. Which is your purpose as a human being. Which is why you were made. When we say all the time that God helps us become who we were always meant to be, it is to give God glory. It is to be a force of influence and change upon our community. Because when Jesus stopped to describe his people, he didn't say, oh yeah, my people, yeah, they're worthless, they're nothing, they're insignificant. No, he stopped and said, in his people, of people who are living to be salt in life, everyone is a difference maker. Everyone is a difference maker. Now I get how difficult that might be to hear because you might be sitting there thinking of all these excuses to that in your heart. You might be thinking, Mason, that's nice, but I don't have a, a high honor job. I work for a boss who, who takes me for granted. I, I do this all the time. I'm going to this place all the time, and I, I'm always forgotten. No one cares about me. I'm not making a whole lot of money. I'm not in a position where I'm a force of influence. Maybe that's your excuse. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, Mason, that's nice and all, but I'm just a teenager. I'm just a kid. How can I be a force of influence? Or maybe you're on the other spectrum. You're like, Mason, my days are long gone. I'm a senior adult, okay? I'm just too old for this. And rather than seeing that we're a child of God who's been equipped and empowered by God to do good works, instead we find the excuses on one end of the other. Maybe it's a little bit more personal. Maybe the excuses that we come up with when we hear that God wants to use us to be a difference maker in our community, in our circles, our first excuse that pops up is like, oh, it can't be me because I've done too much. I'm too broken. I'm 
too ashamed of the mistakes I've made. I carry them with me everywhere I go. The scars are on my back. There's no way that God would have an interest in using me to make a difference in anyone's life. Here's the thing. If you actually stopped for a minute, to stop listening to yourself and stop listening to what the world is saying, and you stop to listen to what Jesus is saying, and you open up his word, you see a different story. You see how God has the intention of using our weaknesses and our limitations and our excuses as the pedestal to display his strength. That every little thing that we come up and say, God, I know you wanted to use me for great things and all that, but I am back here and I have all these lists of limitations and excuses to say that I'm a, I'm a worthless person. I should not be used because I'm not as talented as someone else. I'm not as skilled as someone else. I don't have the resources as someone else. So God, I'm, I'm fine just living my life in the shadows over here. When God has called you and said to be salt in life, I understand how easy it is to, to pull yourself back into the shadows, but that's not what God has called us to. He said to call us to say yes to him. In spite of all of our weaknesses and limitations and restrictions, so that we might see his strength in action. This truth makes me think of something I read um, from Sting in his autobiography, Broken Music. There's this story about, that Sting tells about the first time he bought a, a bass guitar. He said he was in this shop and it was all beautiful with all these fancy guitars, but he sees one bass guitar in the back. And here's what he wrote about it I, it was really powerful. I wrote it down. It says, I've had my eye on a second-hand Fender in the back of Barrett's music store. He's a careworn relic of the 60s, the paintwork ruined and the varnish flaked and piebald. Among all the shiny others on the wall, there is something orphaned, something life-scarred about this instrument that appeals to me. I have absolutely no desire for a new bass. I want something with a history, where every scratch and dent in the varnish has a tale to tell. What were their dreams and aspirations of those who owned it? Why was it sold? And what were the circumstances? Here's the real powerful. It says, I am convinced that I can pick up the trail where it was left off. And I will dream up a new and glorious future and that, that the past has only hinted at. So he bought that Fender bass. And the rest is music history. And in the same way, I think God looks at us. And we're feeling like we're in the back. We're a little scarred and dented. And there would be all these excuses why no one would invest in us, no one would care about us. I think Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going I'm to pick that up. I choose that one. And I'm going to play the music of my kingdom through them. God is in the business of doing this, guys. You look in scripture, you see Saul. Saul's a man who's ravaging the church. He goes day by day hunting down Christians and killing them, and then God intervenes. And next thing you know, he changes his name to Paul, and he goes around planting churches, spreading the gospel movement, and, and writing much of the New Testament. Peter's another example. Peter was a guy who followed Jesus' earthly ministry. He was Jesus' best friend and things like that. It was great, and he swore undying loyalty to Jesus. And then when that loyalty was tested, he spat in Jesus' face and cursed him and said, oh, I never knew that guy. And then after Jesus dies on the cross alone, and is resurrected, he comes to meet with Peter and to deal with that shame that Peter has. And he reinstates Peter back as the head of his church. God is in the business of taking us when we sit there and think, oh, I'm, I'm used up, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm not in a position of power or influence. God, it doesn't matter. You know, for God, he looks at it and says, no, no, I'm going to take you. If you just say yes, 
Because right now I wonder if God is up in heaven and he's having a conversation with, with all the angels and all the other people who are already up there waiting for us. And he's like, you know what? I have this family in mind that I want to send someone who's going to be a difference maker, someone who's going to be influential, someone who's going to change this family with the glory and the, Christ, uh, uh, the name of Christ involved in that. And guess what? It's your family. Maybe he's just waiting for someone to say, yes, God, here am I. Send me like what Isaiah says in chapter 6. When God looks and says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah stands up and says, here am I, send me. What if right now he's saying that about your family? Or what if right now God is looking down, he's seeing this group of friends. They love hanging out with each other. They love to be together. And God's like, you know what? What if there's someone in there that I can use to make a difference? Someone who is going to make a positive influence for the glory and kingdom of God. Who am I going to send? And you happen to be in that friend group. What if right now you were willing to say, here am I, send me, God? I say yes. What if the same is true for your work situation and the coworkers you have, or your teammates, or your classmates? What if it's true for this church, that God is looking at his church and saying, I wonder if there's someone in there who's going to use this faith and love that they've been given and reinvest it and, and pour back into this kingdom? Because we were not made to come week after week and hear that God loves us and just to be encouraged by it and go on our merry way. We were called to use it to take this message, to be salt and light in this world, to be an influence and a difference maker. And we're not just passionate about that because we've got the difference maker of the year in this church, okay? What I'm passionate about is one day seeing year after year, we open that, that newspaper and it's another one of our faces that's in the newspaper saying this is the difference maker of the year. Because you've used your life to pour in someone else's. The measure of your impact is not measured by how many followers you have, it's by your investment in them. As you go out and say, every breath I breathe, whether I eat or drink or sleep, it will all be for God's glory. That's what we're trying to build here. So when we say that we have come to be, as the people of God, to be the people of God so that we might go out to be the people of God, going out to be the people of God, this is what it means. Church for us is not, hey, they come here, this uh, goober up on stage, and, and hear some, a band and stuff like that, and then go home. We gather together to say, hey, when we're together, God is doing something here so that when we go out there, we might carry this message. We might be an influence on this community. And right now, we need it, guys. 2020 is a mess. But what if in your circle, your family, and your friends, guys right now saying, I wonder who will go in my name? Who will go back to their friends and their family? That job they might not like Monday morning. And say, you know what? I am here. To bring the name of God into this place. The glory of God and his kingdom into this place. It's difficult. It's messy. I'm going to be underappreciated by everyone. But I'm here to serve and give glory to God. Will we go in tomorrow into that space with this attitude? Pray with me. Father, I've, I always have to hesitate talking to you because I'm just in awe of the fact that you, as the king of the universe, are willing to listen to us. No one else of that magnitude, uh, that, like if we look at the president of the United States, they're not waiting on the edge of their seat to hear from us, but you, as the, the master of the universe, are waiting on the edge of our, your seat to hear from us. And I'm always in awe of that. And what of influence you have made upon this world as you 
You came and you took on flesh and you walked among us and you shared our burdens and then, and then you died on the cross and then three days later you rose again. What an influence you have made. And it blows my mind to think that you have called us to follow in your footsteps. If you have called us to take this calling seriously. It is a joy to know that we're not useless. It is awe-inspiring to know that you have invested in us for the purpose of being influential people in this community. Guide us, help us to be this, Father, so that we might give praise and glory to you in all things. It's in your name I pray. Amen.